whether or not you ask yourself if you're doing enough is probably the mark of an entrepreneur. And you shouldn't be upset about the question being asked. You should be worried about how you're answering the question. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Unstick your liver. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we are so happy to be here with you today. And as you know, uh, the first Sunday of every month, we usually do this thing, and we do this thing, and it is called CEO Talks. And CEO Talks is where you get to hear about life from the CEO seat, you know, some of the glitz, some of the glam, uh, the glory, and the guts, you know, that you you get to uh, find out about. And uh, today, I'm actually really excited um, we have our resident contributor, uh, Mr. Eric Fondren, here with us, but also we have someone else very special in the building, a first-timer uh, on the show, Miss um, Lenore Cantor, who is uh, the founder of Lunch Warrior. And uh, Lenore, I don't want to steal all your glory, so I'll let you introduce yourself, but Eric as well. Please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. And so I saw these two together on an amazing panel and said, you know what? You guys have a great chemistry. Lenore, please come in and, uh, and be on the, on the series and, you know, talk to us about, you know, life from the CEO seat uh, from where, you, you know, you've been and in your journey. So, uh, Lenore, please tell us a bit more about your company, Launch Warrior, and, uh, you know, some of your clients and what it is that you do. Well, thank you again for inviting me. This is so much fun. It's my first time on a radio studio, so I'm like, Really happy. It's exciting, right? In the <laughs> this, lab. This is a hoot. Um, yeah. and, and actually, I've worked in like PR and media for years, so this is sort of amusing. Um, anyway, <laughs> my company, Launch Warrior, is um, geared towards uh, helping companies and individuals with innovation, change, and growth. So people who are launching new initiatives, starting a new business, entering a new market. Um, I do a lot of work with business founders and also with emerging leaders. So I work with folks around, um, you know, whatever the business challenges are that they're facing, trying to grow their business, helping them increase revenues. A lot of my work is around um, connecting the vision and values for the company or the person with their brand, their messaging, their strategy, and their culture so that they can really be in alignment. Yeah, so that's my ideal, you know, scenario where I'm working with people that kind of see that big picture. Okay. Awesome. Well, you know, Eric, you know, you know, we're about to just jump right in. And I think uh, my first question for you all is, of course, today, I definitely want to make sure that we get to uh, talking about um, how do we personally go about establishing and achieving goals um, and also how we do that with our businesses. But I think right. my first question, especially um, being Lenore, that you're new, brand new to, to CEO Talks, <laughs> what um, what has been some of the biggest challenges for you in the CEO suite seat? 
Well, you know, I think it's sort of ironic because I'm a marketer and I'm really good at helping people clarify their messaging and, mm-hmm. you know, get really clear. And what are the first things that you focus on? You know, do you have product market fit? Do you know your clients and what you want to focus on? Um, and are you targeting the right customers? And I think for me, that was actually a big challenge to figure out what I wanted to do. So when I started, um, my vision was that I wanted to be like an outsourced chief marketing officer for right. companies because that was what I had done previously. And um, my business has actually like gone through, I don't know, I think I'm on the third iteration since I really started. And okay. um, while marketing is part of what I do now, it's not really my primary focus. What I do more of is um, the coaching, which I had sort of shied away from when I first started because I thought, oh, God, I came out of financial services. Like (laughs) people in financial services, they don't want coaches because that means that they need remedial help. So 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 coaching had like a negative connotation. Uh, So so anyway, long story short, I think one of the most challenging things for me was really like finding the right clients and figuring out how I wanted to work with them and to do it in a way that I actually enjoyed that made me feel happy happy and that I was adding value and that people could understand what I did and how I add value for them. What's a key indicator for a a good client that you would want? You know, I want to hang out with them and they're not going to be a jerk. Like, that's actually what I, <laughs> because, real, right? well, I mean, the truth is, like, I, I was really lucky. Um, my first six, my first four months, I had six clients, like, right out of the wow. gate. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a few of them were, you know, I don't know what I can and can't say. They were jerks. They didn't pay me. They took me for granted. And and they were people I knew. And I thought, like, I, I kind of made me like, I don't know if I want to work with these kind of clients because, you know, they're just not great to work with. And they like, so, you know, the background was I'd worked in financial services. A lot of my clients were either financial or technical. So I thought they really, you know, they needed marketing help. Um, but the truth is that they don't care about marketing, right? They right. care about making money. Right. And um, for me, I think it's really a mix of like, I think that you can combine profits and care about people. And that to me needs to kind of fit together because having one without the other, like you have no soul. Like that's right. just not, that's not the place I want to work. That's not the people I want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think that was sort of like the evolution for me. How so, did you, how did you um, overcome that? And, you know, how did you resolve these people not wanting to pay you or taking you for granted? What did you do differently to, to I, I get paid up front. <laughs> <laughs> Key indicator, people, get paid up front. Yeah, so that was like a big shift. I was like, okay, you want me and my time and work, you're going to pay some, you know, you don't pay everything up front, Mm -hmm. but, you know, you pay something. So then I know you're in it. I'm not going to be taken advantage of. So Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of one way I know clients who are serious. Um, And then the other thing is I really do try and scope out, like, what we're going to do. And um, I would say the other thing that was, like, a big learning for me is – I was not a salesperson. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, even if we're like natural dealing with like selling and selling yourself is really different. So what I found was um, I actually didn't really understand the sales process. So in the last year or so, I've gotten more sales training and that's just shifted everything for me because I have a different type of conversation.
conversation with clients now. So like when I'm actually talking with them, I understand what their needs are and I really can be clear on here's how I can help you. And then I get them enrolled in that and then we're in it together. And it's like a whole different type of relationship. Whereas I think before people wanted me to like produce marketing material and that's kind of something I can do, but that's not what gets me excited. Like, I really want to partner with people and help them transform their business and do it in a way that's really, like, powerful. And to me, that requires a different type of relationship. It's not like, actually, I love this term. Um, A friend said to me, like, we got to get beyond the transactional to the relational, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Because, like, transaction is, like, you do this for me, I'm giving you money. Mm -hmm. Relational is, like, we're in this and mm-hmm. we're going to treat each other differently because this is an ongoing. My best clients have, we have deep relationships. I just went out of town this last weekend for a gala that I was invited to. Um, and the entire team there, you know, I've gone and now that I've finally broken bread with the team, it's like we're almost family because we know each other. We've met each other. We've discussed. We've been in the trenches with the business and outside of that. Yeah. Um, and it just changes the way they... It, it deepens the confidence they have in you yeah. because they believe they that you're invested in their goals and, and their next steps and their future. And so having a relationship with your clients, I think, is, is a, definitely a key aspect. I did want to ask a question about your sales education and how yeah. you're bringing your business to the next level by investing in yourself. What were some of those either programs or books or training materials that you invested in that you would recommend to the well, what I would say, and and um, you guys will laugh because you heard this before when we all connected. Yes. But um, so you know, I'm I'm a consultant and I'm a coach, and I really think it's important to have someone who is outside of your business, who's sort of independent and unbiased, who can be a sounding board for yeah. you. So I work with a coach. I was in a program um, for founders and we used to talk every week and there was like, you know, like four of us in our little cohort. Mm-hmm. And that was helpful for me, but it wasn't, you know, the the person who was leading it kept saying, you know, like, just keep, you know, pick a client and like focus on them. And I was like, yeah, but that's not how I think. Right. And, I, and then I, um, I found a business coach and they, um, this woman has a program. Um, so I am working with her and I just felt like her way of relating was really good for me. Right. Um, so, you know, I basically, learned a way of listening to what the customer's needs are and then talking about um, how their business challenges, like what I see they need to get to the next step Mm -hmm. and then how I can help them to do that. I mean, I think there are all different types of training programs that people can go in. I don't know that this one would be particularly right for everyone. It just happened to be the fit for me specifically. Um, And ironically, you guys will appreciate this because I am leading a sales workshop myself in late January. So I did a leadership workshop with um, some founders. They're actually, um, you know, two two young guys who are just from this neighborhood and Mm -hmm. um, and one of their uh, a woman on their team. And so I thought we were going to be talking about leadership stuff. And it turns out they're one of their challenges was selling because they're, you know, obviously startup. They're trying to get new clients. So um, we did some role playing around you know, working with, you know, the sal- the sales process. And one of the co-founders was really struggling. Like his style, mm-hmm. he was a techie. Like he wasn't used to selling. Right. And so we kept kind of going through it. And um, 
I said to him, you know, is that working for you? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm being aggressive, you know, like I'm being assertive. And so I, the, you know, the woman who was playing the client, I was like, is that working for you? And she's like, no, <laughs> like he's being like, I don't want to give him like, I don't want to work. He's just being pushy. Like, right. and we just kept working on it. And then by the end, his fifth try, his whole energy had shifted and he was sort of um, much more interested in, in her needs. Sorry, I keep banging this thing. Um, interested in her needs and listening. And then his confidence had shifted. Mm -hmm. and, and so like his energy had shifted. Practice was all it took for him. It was practice. It was awareness. It mm -hmm. was the messaging, the way mm -hmm. he was talking about the business. It was listening to the customer needs. So basically coming out of that, I was like, everybody needs to do this. Like Absolutely. we need to practice. So that's so. I took uh, my, my, colleagues, um, a couple developers, same boat, not used to speaking with people, not used to really getting out there and selling things. And we, I took them to a trade show. And basically at a trade show, if you've ever exhibited a trade show, you have to stand yeah. on your feet for 12 oh, hours nice. yeah. and yeah. sell, Long days. sell, sell. And so basically I just gave them my, um, uh, a polo and I gave him the spiel. Actually, they listened to me give the spiel quite a few times yeah, before yeah, they yeah, yeah. then would listen. Um, and they just went out and sooner or later you could see the people who were more comfortable with it and could adapt quicker. But ultimately, just getting out there and speaking with people and being able to uh, uh, listen in, in a moment's notice helps quite drastically. Well, you know, it's actually really funny because you're using that example. So um, in my when I was in the corporate world, I ran a marketing team and we actually did 60 global events a year, conferences wow. and trade shows. Yeah. And like around the world, That's like once a week, it was it was like. <laughs> Thank God I had people working for me in London and wow, Asia, so it was right. cool. Um, but basically, you know, my view is not everybody sells in the same way. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is, um, and, you know, if you're going to sponsor, right, you're paying for a booth, you're mm -hmm. paying for people to be there, you pay up a lot of mm -hmm. money if you're going to be, like, having that booth and demoing mm -hmm. your product, right? Um, so a more cost-effective alternative would be buying a delegate's pass or you just buy a yep. ticket and attend. Mm -hmm. Well, you can only do that if the person who's selling is like able to work the room, right? Right. But right. if you have people that don't have that skill, you better have them standing in a booth with the product because otherwise they don't know what they're talking about, right? right. So you sort of like actually need to know who you are, or what you're good at. Because, um, like I tell companies, you know, you shouldn't be at that trade show. Like you're not ready to go, or right. or if you want to go, that's cool. Who are you sending? What are their skills? And based on that, the that's goal? the type of you know. Know, that's the way you should be at that event mm -hmm. because otherwise people just don't they lay out all this money and they don't take advantage of it and from the space to the marketing material oh my god it's, it's outrageous <laughs> yeah yeah and, and people and then people way. don't follow up on you know so if you're gonna do that you gotta lead into it you gotta let everyone know you're gonna be there then when you're there you gotta have like a special offer then after it you gotta follow yeah. up with it like so there's a I mean you know there's like a, a lot that goes mm -hmm. into that yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's a process so Eric what about yourself what has uh, been one of your biggest challenges from the CEO seat. Um, uh, from the CEO seat, uh, establishing a proper culture. You know, I've spoken about this. I always speak about it. I think it's one of the most important things for building a, uh, a long-term, consistent business is the culture you set. Because as soon as people come into the business, they absorb that culture and then they spit it back out to anybody else that comes. So whenever you're not in the room, anybody you've taught your culture to is teaching it to the next person. 
And so that's why leadership is so important. So establishing a strong culture is probably one of the biggest challenges I've ever faced in Mm -hmm. a in a business. And especially when there's a counteracting force to trying to build the right culture. So the people you bring in have to be on the same page as you in terms of what your thought process is, what your your principles are, what your values are and how you treat and treat people and conduct your business. And so uh, trying to establish a good culture with a bad egg was probably the the biggest challenge I've ever faced in my business. Secondary to that is um, ironing out my sales process, finding the right customers, and then generating revenue. So I think those really ultimately go hand in hand because your salesman is really going to be the face of the business and how they go out there and walk in the world. They're basically amplifying your culture across uh, the marketplace. Oh, that's such a great um, example about hiring the wrong people because I think Mm -hmm. that growing businesses like that is probably one of the biggest things they struggle with is Mm -hmm. staffing. Like, how do you get the right people on the team? And then a lot of times, like actually – One of my biggest challenges is, like, I want to grow my business now. I need more support. And I actually have been, like, really hesitant to bring anyone on because, like, I'm used to working in a corporate environment where I had a big budget and a lot of money. And um, so it was, like, easy to hire people. And if it didn't work out, you'd be like, sorry, it's not working. Mm -hmm. But now if I'm hiring people, they're just working with me. Like The onboarding and offboarding process is probably a lot more in-depth. And I, I actually like I'll and I, you know, and I like I don't want someone full time, but let's say I, I, you know, I want like person part time to help me with administrative stuff. So I had, you know, young woman, very smart. And she like asked for a lot of money, even though she didn't have any experience. And she was recommended <laughs> by a friend. I was like, all right, I'll pay you. She had, no, she had no experience. And then she was like clueless. And I was like, I'm not going to pay you to train you. I'm sorry. That's just not the way it right. works. And, uh, you know, and then I tried working with interns who, you know, maybe you pay very little or they do it for the experience and then you're spending all your time with them and that's just not cool so i i actually had this um new intern who started with me was recommended by a professor and she's brilliant and i was like oh my god it's possible you can find (laughs) the right people and so it's like like you have to be patient and it doesn't you know you kind of have to know what you're looking for and i think you probably can't settle or you just learn from experience we we, we say it all the time Uh, fire fast, hire slowly. Yeah, that's true. And ultimately, you you um you will waste time training people. Mm-hmm. Even oh, I, I have an admin assistant, but the admin assistant doesn't know anything, so right. I have to train them. So you mm-hmm. waste six months training somebody to get to break even in terms of just operational capability. Right. And so then you have to get let them go. So one of the things I've heard um, is if you have a role and you're hiring for it. The person needs to be able to come in and do that job. Hmm. It should not be that they should come in and learn. And I think that as entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. because we're always learning, we're comfortable giving someone else that second chance. But we're not hiring people to come in and be entrepreneurs. We're actually hiring employees. To come in and be able to execute immediately. Exactly. I agree. And some of it, some of it, like, because I hire a lot virtually, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sometimes out of the country, sometimes domestically. I think my saving grace in in regard to onboarding has been to iron out the process from A to Z. Mm-hmm. As you know, I'm always talking SOPs. That's yes, like my sir. thing. Standard operating procedure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when you iron out that process from A to Z, it makes it easier and they have something to go back to. Um, right. You know, but at the end of the day, 
managing personalities, I think, is uh, is very interesting uh, from the, from the CEO seat. Skill set in and of its own. Yeah, you know, to be able to motivate and to keep people, um, you know, on top of the things that they need to. I did. I hadn't realized how much planning goes into you know when you start managing multiple people, how much right. planning and how much, uh, I guess, high level bird's eye view you have to do of everything in order mm-hmm. to make sure that everything is constant running. checking right mm-hmm. and so i think that 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 is uh is interesting but definitely those sops they save me when i'm doing like my virtual hiring um good a for lot. you i'm impressed yeah that's not something young companies do very often a lot of times all the ip and, and the processes and all that is in one person's head oh, and yeah. it's not distributed or easily distributable mm-hmm. and then that's when you lose that key person Yes. Yeah. You literally you have to get insurance for it. Key man policies. <laughs> well, and that's the, that's the thing is that, you know, I'd had I lost an admin and I realized that certain roles are so important mm-hmm. that you it basically has to be turnkey. If somebody else needs to come in and fill this role, if somebody mm-hmm. quits at the drop of a dime, then you need to be able to bring somebody in and say, you need to know this, this and this. And another thing that I do, too, um, before bringing somebody on, I do a writing assessment. Oh, smart. Um, to make sure that you can write in, po- in proper English, because we're talking about an administrative role. So, you know, while we have a lot of templates for um, correspondence, because we use a CRM system, while we have a lot of templates, it's also important for you to be able to respond back to what's not already in a template and right. be able to do it in proper English so that the, right. the client feels um, respected and, you know, thinks that we are carrying on with the same uh, level of, uh, of skill. Um, while we do that, you were starting out with the writing assessment. What else happens? Writing pre, assessment. Pre um, you have to be able to uh, navigate the CRM system. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you can sign up for a free trial through the CRM system. And I ask you to go through a series of tasks. And once you do those series of tasks, I ask that you email each step or each completion to me and mm-hmm. allow me to be able to view it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I know that you're competent. You send me over the screenshots, things like that. Um, because when you come in, I need you to hit the ground running. That's, I would. That's amazing. Wow. I think I would like to ask an interesting question. Go ahead. As an employer, mm-hmm. what is something? What, what's something you're like? You're looking to improve upon in the new year? As an employer, mm-hmm. it could be anything. How you deal with people, the processes you're uh, structuring for them. Mm. Well, I can go first. Um, so I have, um, and I. I mean, I think we were going to be talking about this anyway, um, which is the whole planning process going into the new year. So I have, you know, I set up some processes for myself. So I use, I don't use a CRM system anymore because I just wasn't using it. I have another thing, like a checklist system. Mm -hmm. I don't use it, (laughs) Um, but I have it and I like it. Um, But anyway, I'm going to try and set up like key metrics and mm-hmm. then do like a monthly review. Yeah. I think even weekly was just not realistic for me, mm-hmm. but like, you know, figuring out like, what are the, you know, five key drivers of my business, my, right. pi- my pipeline and sales growth. Right. Um, maybe it's referrals. Maybe it, like one of the things like this was perfect. Cause I want to be doing speaking opportunities once a month. So like, I'm going to start measuring those things mm-hmm. that I'm doing, um, that I that I want to be doing, that I need to be doing, that are going to move the needle on my business. And that's what I'm going to really focus on. Beautiful people. This is the Create Your Life series. We are back. Uh, we have uh, Lenore Cantor and Eric Fondren here uh, on CEO Talks. Y'all with us? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. so we ended the break and we were talking about 
the leadership and the employer changes you'd like to make in the new year in order to make your business greater. So, Kevin, what are you, what are you thinking is a, a, something you can implement personally in your business as an employer, as a leader, that'll help push it forward? I think being more specific about the deliverables um, that, that we expect. Um, I think another thing that I'm looking at now is as we're working to expand is that understanding that it's a numbers game. Uh, as far as uh, getting more advertisers, as far as bringing in uh, more business and actually uh, bigger guests than we've already had. So I think that it's just going to be a whole bunch of uh, shot shooting in terms of, you know, we got to be, you know, hounding at least 30 people a week, you know, to to really get them going and then engaging more. Um, So I think for me, what that's going to require is a bit more of organization and also a bit more flexibility. You know, it's interesting because I'm already working seven days a week, but now I got to figure <laughs> out, you know what I mean, how to, um, how to work eight. <laughs> yeah, how to work eight and, and be more efficient within the time, you know, and mm-hmm. then kind of explore that balance a little bit more. But I think that um, one of the biggest things that I've been finding is, is that the more peace that you have personally, the better it is and it affects the whole aura of your organization right. and what you're doing. So right. um, that's definitely something that I'm, I'm on, a, on a pretty good journey with. So happy about that. All right, my turn to ask a question. How yes. do you get to peace? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my personal goals because you want you know. Um, I don't know if you guys um, found this, but like for me, language is so important, and I'm really trying to be aware of it. I used to say, "Oh, I'm really struggling with this, and I'm feeling mm. overwhelmed," and blah blah. And and so the more you say you're struggling and overwhelmed, the, the more, more you, you feel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I was I had this shift literally like in the last six months where I was like. I want to be at ease and I'm not and I don't and I try and eliminate those words from my vocabulary because I don't want to feel those things. So I'd love to hear, you know, if there are things that you've done that have helped you, because I just I think that's such a powerful it's it is about the mindset mm-hmm. um, for me. Um, it, it's unplugging. Uh, at night, yeah. at night, I, I literally put my phone in airplane mode. So when I wake up in the morning, it's just me and my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually taken a break from dating, so that is bringing about a, just a, a level of personal focus. Mm. Um, and then I have like a morning routine that I really strive to stick to, and it's called Sparm. So I stretch, I pray, I listen to my a- daily affirmations, which are positive things and goals that I have recorded on the audio. Um, I read at least ten pages. And right now I'm reading a book that is actually a personal development book. And then in, in, in later on in the day, I might read one that is a, um, a business book. And then I also I listen to something motivational. That's hmm. the M. And so that really helps me to say, you know what, I'm going out there. You know, you hear seven minutes from uh, Evan Carmichael or, you know, a couple blurbs from um, Gary Vee. And you're ready to take over the world. Right. And so I think. Yeah, I love him. Waking up and staying in that and saying, you know what, even if, you know, I woke up, you know, it wasn't 530 wake up today. It was six, six fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as I have that routine, then I'm actually giving myself the opportunity the to juice for the day. Right. And to live on my terms starting the right. day. And so as I, I'm basically I'm in control instead of being reactionary. Right. And that's so you actually have a qualitative piece. goal in the morning as opposed to a quantitative goal. Right. So waking up every single day is effectively a quantity number. Right. Did mm-hmm. I wake up or not? Is it a one or a zero? Is mm-hmm. it false or true? Mm-hmm. But qualitative is did I get up and complete my initial, you know, re- rejuvenation process? Mm-hmm. 
And that way, it doesn't matter when you wake up. As long as you do that process, your day's starting out on the right foot. So getting rid of distracting goals and putting in place those, those valuing goals. What, what was your A again in your process? Affirmations. Affirmations. But I'll also say this, too, is that it, I can tell the difference when I do that versus when I don't. And it's so quiet that, like, when I'm stretching, I'm literally, it's 15 minutes of me listening to affirmations while I'm stretching. Mm-hmm. But it's so, it's such a piece that after I even get done, I just sit there for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, like, I'm, I feel really in control. Mm-hmm. And so, and also just, you know, on, on certain nights, you know, like, I'll just stay at home and just be at peace, you know, turn everything off. And I'm just there just mm-hmm. thinking. I, I definitely am trying to do less. Like, for me, it's about doing the more of the right things like because right. I, I really right. used to feel like you know came out of the corporate world and there was no I, you know there was I could have worked forever long hours and 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 I had this mindset like oh you just have to be working harder and you're not working hard enough I actually had a boss say to me well you know I'm not going to promote you cuz you know, you do good work, but you're not working long enough. And I was like, well, I am not working more hours. I'm sorry. Like I got a life. And that's what I love about having my own business is that I can set my hours. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I still sometimes find that I have like in the back of my head, this thought like, oh God, should you be working harder? So that's why I feel like if I can lay out like, here are my priorities. And if I know that I'm working on one of those, then mm-hmm. at least I can feel good that mm-hmm. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. focused on the right things. I would like for all the audience members out there to, um, to push that concept just a little bit. Whether or not you ask yourself if you're doing enough is probably the mark of an entrepreneur. And you shouldn't be upset about the question being asked. You should be worried about how you're answering the question. If you're constantly telling yourself no, find a way to tell yourself yes by having uh, qualitative solutions that answer that question. So for you, you're saying you find a, a, a concrete goal that you can achieve and or have achieved that allows you to answer yes to the question, am I working hard enough? Most people have that busy I'm getting stuff done, but I'm not getting to the things that need to get done. And so they can't even answer the question qualitatively and properly because they're just doing work and not doing what needs to get done. Yeah. I mean, I just I think that it's true that it's easy to get like caught up in the busyness, like Mm -hmm. just do something. Mm -hmm. And then when you stop and think like, oh, well is this actually going to help me? Like, I mean, the, the other thing is you sort of need to recognize who you are and what you're good at. Like I'm an idea person right. and I could just, I mean, I carry my notebooks. I come up with lots of stuff all the time. Um, so I'm sort of thinking about, um, you know, like maybe I should even carve out space in my day to just kind of let myself do that. Or when I do think to not feel bad about it because that's actually something I need for me is right. to have thinking time. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, not only getting away, I've, I've told Kevin all the time, work-life balance is the most important thing that's, that's generated any success in my life as an entrepreneur. When I was heads down and, and um, doing the 18-hour days and, and eating the pizza and just being stressed out, you know, it's like, oh, I'm grinding, I'm grinding, grinding. That's what entrepreneurs do. You never quit. You never quit. And then I realized that I wasn't happy. I wasn't successful because I believe successful is a, is a, a, a state of being and not an event. Um, and, and I just didn't feel good about life. And then sooner or later, I decided to allow my offline life to um, be cherished and protected from a time perspective. 
And so if I was going home, once I get home, that's it. <laughs> you know, and I may answer some emails later on, but I, I, I unplug in order to allow that, you know, especially now that I have a, a daughter and, you know, I've been married for a few years now. It's just very important that they know that part of my life is just as important as my corporate part of my life. It's just as big as part of my identity. And funny enough, when I went to this gala this other weekend, you realize how investing in that other part of your life provides you capital in your relationships and business. Yeah, Being able sense. to say that not only am I solid and secure and stable in my business life, I'm solid and secure and stable in my family life, and mm-hmm. it helps it, it make you a multidimensional person and people like seeing themselves in you. They like seeing aspirational stuff. It's, it's, it's an important and, and interesting psychology um, concept that I, I, I go back on, but I absolutely believe that work-life balance is necessary. I mean, it's interesting because I would say one thing that shifted for me is having my own business, like my work and my life are pretty intertwined. Yeah. So when mm-hmm. I travel, I'm usually doing it for business and then I have pleasure add-on. Like every nice. once in a while, I'll take my own vacation, but then I like try and find a business reason that I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, but I, you know, like I try and separate them because when I mix them too much, then it like ruins the vacation part. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, so, but it is interesting to be thinking about carving it out or sort of having them complement each other right. and like support each other right. rather than like one at the expense of the other. Because exactly. I think it's not you're a zero sum yeah. game. Yeah, but I think you're right that it can mm-hmm. be very easy to be like all work and no play, and that just would not work for me. Yeah. What are some of the things or some of the ways that you two go about um, creating your goals for the new year or creating your goals? for your business and for yourself and how do you execute and keep yourself accountable? I mean, so I'm, so I'm just focused on this. Like right now I was actually taking some notes um, when I was riding up here on the subway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, have you guys ever done a vision board? Do you, yes. you know mm-hmm. that? Right. So, mm-hmm. so I like wanted to do my vision board cause it was just my birthday last month and I like could okay. not Happy get motivated. Thank yeah, absolutely. you. I could not get motivated. I was like, uh, I'm not up for the vision board. <laughs> and then somehow like last weekend stuff just started like spouting up and I was like, Oh God, write this down. I got to write this down. <laughs> So I came up with, like, what do I want to do? Like, I want to hit certain Mm -hmm. revenue numbers. I want to, you know, like I have, um, let's say, three services that I offer. So I wanted to increase each of them. And I Mm -hmm. started setting some target numbers Mm -hmm. of clients that I want to have. So, like, I had those business goals. And then I had some similar to you, like organizational processes. Are there things I need to put in place to become more efficient? Um, and then like some marketing stuff. So then I, I basically just wrote them all down. And now what I'm trying to do is sort of map them out. Like, okay, like right. what, you know, First how step, am I going to move them? And next. it's actually been a little bit painful. I will be honest with you because I, I mean, like I do this for other people and I make it really easy for them doing it for myself <laughs> really hard. Um so it's not I haven't quite figured it out yet because there's also this way where like I want to operationalize it and mm-hmm. make it like I press the button and it tells mm-hmm. me how I'm doing and I'm not quite at that point yet. So right. so I need to sort of figure out how I am going to track this Key um, performance indicators that you can constantly come back to. Yeah. And, say, and just know, like, like, for example, who's referring me business? Like, mm-hmm. can I track and, you know, thank those people? And, you know, how long does it take for me to close certain clients? Right. Because right? Right. certain things close really quickly. Some of the lower 
larger accounts take long, you know, just different things like that. And like how many, like, I think it was cool that you had that number, like you need 30 calls, you know, a week or whatever that is. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I think you do need to have some numbers, but at the same time, um, the other thing I might argue is if you close a higher percentage of your deals, you actually need fewer. Right. right. So it's mm-hmm. not always a That's quantity game. Mm-hmm. It can be mm-hmm. a quality game. But that also means you're finding the right clients to go That's after. That's right. So then so no. so figuring out mm-hmm. like some of that stuff. So that's where mm-hmm. this whole focus on sales, like, can I find the right clients and then close more of them? Right. I do find just real quick on sales, one of the reasons people have a hard time selling, especially if they're building a new business or providing new service to the market, is because they believe the myth that everybody's a potential client. And yeah. so they and they have no way of filtering it down um, uh, from the universe to their actual uh, potential clients that would even decide that as a product they would purchase. Um, I would think that uh, in terms of the new year and developing goals, because I'm a computer scientist, I think in ones and zeros sometimes. <laughs> My wife hates it. <laughs> I like to be hyperbolic. And I'll just say it's either this extreme or this extreme. Um, but ultimately, the best way to build your goal set is to go top down, I would think. Mm-hmm. Is categorize them first. Categorize yeah. the goals sets, right? So if you have your sales goals, just put sales on the paper. Just put sales on the paper. That's the first step. You have your operational goals. Put operational on the paper. And instead of going to sales, I want to close $50,000 next year. Go even higher level than that. Sales. I want to hire the right salesperson. I want to increase my sales. And then that is a goal that needs to be broken up into tasks that are tied to timelines. So they have milestones that need to be achieved. So if you want to close 50,000 people, you need to talk to 30 a week in order to reach this many in terms of percentage of sale close. And so going top down allows you to look at it and break it up and continue to make it more and smaller and smaller bite-sized chunks. That way you're not overwhelmed in terms of when you go bottom bump, you're going to get overwhelmed because then you're just listing tasks and now your task list gets crazy and you can't even check it off because it just keeps growing. You definitely have to silo them out. And I, I find that's one of the hardest things that people who, um, communicate with me in terms of trying to get things done. That's what they're dealing with. They're being bombarded by the tasks as opposed to following the strategy from the vision point, which is why I think of the vision board comes into play, right? Yeah. Vision boards are tricky. I like vision boards, but I think that when you when you put a vision board up, you're oftentimes looking at the end product. Interesting. And, and that is where the illusion takes place mm. and, and where you kind of get duped. So I think that it's, while you may put things on your vision board, I think it's important to understand, uh, you know, how much that may cost or what exactly it takes to get there, the backstory right. to it. And right. um, that's actually something that I really do, like in my goal-setting workshop, um, that's something that we do is we we go back, we backwards plan it, you know, because right. you throw a Lamborghini up on your on your vision board, you know, how much does the Lamborghini actually cost? A lot of people probably that won't know or how much these, you know, these vacations or trips to this place and that place. And a lot of times this stuff is more affordable than you may think that it is or, you know, it might take, um, you know, if you have somebody who's on your vision board, right? You got to think about, mm-hmm. you know, you've probably seen them in a the limelight for the last three or four, three to five years, but you still got to talk about the, the 10, 10 years that it took to get them there, yeah. you know, and them sleeping in, you know, 
you know, on the floor in New York City or, <laughs> you know, waiting tables, you know, downtown before they actually hit it big. So I think that the vision boards are cool, but you always have to know the backstory of the stuff that you're putting on there because right. it's very important to give you a realistic perspective. Yeah. And I just FYI, I would not recommend. I mean, I do vision boards personally. I don't recommend that for business, but it was like I was using that as mm-hmm. like my right. starting point mm-hmm. um, just to kind of set some priorities. But you have to have vision, though, as a, as a yeah. entrepreneur, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing that I sometimes um, think about is I tend to be very practical, like I want certain things, but then I realize maybe I'm actually not thinking big enough. So it's sort of like, for me, it's this thing like, like, I don't want to think so big if that's not actually what I want, but I don't want to hold myself back from um, thinking about what I really could achieve because then you're not shooting you know, high enough. So you, you sort of like want to set stretch goals that you're going to reach for, but not ones that are like so far out of reach that it's actually going to like aggravate you that you don't meet them. So I don't know. I have, you guys found that that can be sort of a tricky road to walk, right? Because, you know, I've been doing it for so long. I realized that the stretch goals, the ones that are probably your long-term goals are at least a year out. At least. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All they are is a visual image in your brain. That's usually all they are because they're so far out there. They haven't been implemented yet. There's there's Mm -hmm. nothing. There are steps in between that you haven't executed yet to Mm -hmm. even get to them. But they're there because they help you keep walking forward. They keep that that momentum of where you're going to go next. And so I put all those, if, if I lose sight of what those look like, that's when I know my business is, is in check. It actually having these intangible visions gives me security in terms of me believing I'm walking in the right direction because mm. it, it gives me a, a bit of a compass. I'm like, okay, that's North Pole. I can't see it because it's mm-hmm. over the bend, right. but I know that direction is North Pole. Mm-hmm. Then there's my short-term goals, which are really just milestones, right. things that are buckets of tasks that once they're completed, they will equate to this. So right, if right, I've right. done this many sales and this many calls and this many whatever, it'll equate to this goal. Getting from immediate task to short-term goal, there are so many circumstances that kill those steps or or get in the way that you have to get over. And I'm so comfortable with this now because it's happened so many times that I realize the vision can change and I'm comfortable with the vision changing. Flexibility. So the long-term goal changes. But as long as there is a vision, everything else I'm comfortable getting through. And so that's where I think where the realism comes into place, knowing that getting from immediate task to short-term milestone and mid-term milestone that is going to be a winding path that you don't have a ton of control over. So be comfortable, you know, navigating that. But as long as you are walking towards the ultimate vision, which will shift and change, but should ultimately be planted in something real, mm-hmm. then you're doing something right. Okay. We have a question from, uh, from Brianna Cole Davis on Facebook uh, Live. She says, uh, regarding sales and follow-up, how many times should you follow up before following up becomes uh, overbearing to the client? Do you guys have any suggestions? I remember a stat, and I, and I don't know where I'm quoting this from, but I want to say it's at least eight times. I know that sounds like a lot. It, it's it's a lot Across more than you think it is. Across different forms of mediums. Yeah. So, but let's, so for example, um, 
you meet someone and then, you know, they say they're interested. And so you're going to reach out to them. So the good news mm-hmm. is that's like a warm lead, right? right. You already, right. But so then you send them an email, they don't respond. Mm-hmm. Well, stuff gets lost in email. Right. So you might want to give them it a phone call, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So they don't respond to your phone call. So then what do you do? I would say maybe you wait a week, mm-hmm. you send a second email. Mm-hmm. And then, a, a, so I actually used to um, underestimate how important the follow up was. And so I'd just send email and then I didn't hear from them. And I'd be like, oh, next. Right. But meanwhile, you kind of need to be persistent. You got to push them because they have their own priorities. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think. You have to do it enough to get a response. And then another thing you can be mindful of in your language is to say something like, um, I don't want to keep bothering you if you're really not interested. Mm. Um, but but from our conversation, it sounded like you wanted to learn more mm-hmm. or something, right? Mm-hmm. So you actually almost want to get to a, a no, no. Yep. because if it isn't a no, it's it's a maybe. Still a potential yes. Yeah. Mm. I like so, that. So I think there's a way where we can um, sell ourselves short right. by being persistent because we don't – and I was going to actually – bring this up earlier because we don't want to be perceived as being like pushy or not nice or you know like but you know I think if you do it like warmly and I actually I mean sometimes you get a response that you don't expect like I had one guy who was like don't you know I'm I will reach out to you when I'm ready I was like okay that was a no I got that I got heard that that Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. I thought I was being helpful to say oh well I'm gonna check in with you in you know three weeks time if I haven't heard back just so we can stay in touch and so the problem is I think that that behavior you you feel like the behavior is wrong because you get a response like that but actually the response tells you the behavior is right. Yeah. And it, obviously there's some nuance in how you treat people and it has to be polite and compassionate and empathetic and, and still listening to the client's needs and bringing that in so they remember why they need you in the first place. All of that is going to take practice. But the, I think the, the guideline is push until you get a response. Yeah. And then if you're really not getting responses, A, probably your communication and what you're saying isn't right. Or B, just set a maximum timeline. I'm no longer going to reach out to this person after, say, six months. But that all depends on your product, too. And this, I agree with what both of you all said, and I would add on to it that it depends on what it is. Right. Because some stuff, I'm not not letting up. Now, I might give you a couple weeks to breathe, right? you know, but there's there's definitely going to be, I'm going to be consistent over a period of time. For me, personally, that has been, like, my my bread and butter. You know, when I wanted to be a host for MTV, I called and emailed that guy for six months, mm-hmm. you know, and to the point that where he had to give me something, the same thing when I wanted to work in the, at the clothing company, the same thing. I'm at over, I'm at over a year now uh, trying to get on, you know what I mean? Make something happen with a, with a particular network. So, right. you know, it just has to look different, but Hey, you know, I, what is it? What is it called? Um, what's the email thing? Streak. Right. I use streak yes. and I will set up emails to go out. Oh, you got to tell me about this because so it sounds really good. So streak allows you to track whether or not someone's opening your email. Oh, yes. got it. 
So, but you can also schedule your right, emails with schedule them. them to go out at a certain right. time. You can write the email and then say send at this other time, so you can get a bunch of your stuff already situated mm-hmm. and not have to worry about showing up at you know fifteen minutes before eight on Monday to get yeah. all your emails out. And, and that's it's a Google awesome. it's a Google uh, plugin okay. for like Chrome. But like Eric put me on to that, and for that. You know, because you might forget, but let's say you just get off the phone with that person and you know that you need to send me an email on Monday at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead, do it right right That's there while awesome. you're in the moment mm-hmm. and yeah. just boom. Because I've actually been thinking about um, this whole email automation process because I think it can be a way of staying in touch. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's really um, powerful. Definitely. Okay. I mean, just reaching out until you get an answer is probably the best best bet. <laughs> And Breon has just responded, and she says, thank you. Uh, great advice. That's Breon Nicole Davis. Great. Just wanted to put her whole name out there. Um, yeah, so, Lenore, how can we stay in contact with you? Social media handles, websites, and uh, Eric the same. So um, my uh, website is launchwarrior.net. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at L Cantor, L-K-A-N-T-O-R. Um, I tweet under myself, and then my business has one as well, launch underscore warrior. Um, I'm also on Facebook and on LinkedIn, so happy to connect. Um, and I'll just do a plug if you're interested in learning more about sales. Um, that workshop's going to be on January 27th. It's like a three-part series. Um, sales, the actual presentation, practicing that. Then there's going to be um, one on the actual elevator pitch. So that's helping you with your messaging. And the third one is going to be just on what we were talking about, which is building out your marketing plan for the year. So, Okay. Eric? You can find me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn and via email, Eric N. Fondren, F-O-N-D-R-E-N. Uh, my Twitter handle is Eric N. Fondren as well. And uh, my email address is Eric at Itelio. That is I-T-E-L-L dot I-O. Okay. Well, beautiful people, you know where to find me, at Kevin Y. Brown, at CYL Series. We are here every Sunday to bring you uh, value and to help you create your best life. So thank you so much for listening in. Here is Bruno Mars with That's What I Like, and it's been a plum pleasing pleasure. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL Series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. You better create your life. (laughs) Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life.